I'm Lance, I'm a compulsive overeater. And uh, so um, uh, strength, hope and experience, how it was, how uh, I came to OA and then how it's how it is now. So uh, um, I'll just say, I usually I talk a lot about my childhood, but I just gonna say I had a crummy, weird childhood. My mom was an alcoholic and drug addict. And also in my opinion, she was never diagnosed, but, but in my opinion, she had a really bad borderline personality disorder. And so it was uh, living with her was chaos and insanity. And so I'll just, just put it to, you know, Leave, leave it at that. So I came out of childhood with a lot of issues, but one of the things I discovered when I was a child was chocolate. I discovered how amazing chocolate made me feel. I mean, I, I'd get about an hour of happiness and well-being, and uh, after about an hour, it would go away, and then I'd need more chocolate. And as I got older, that feeling of coming off of the chocolate got lower and lower. So my life was just always ups and downs ups and downs with the chocolate so that, uh, you know, I would get really depressed when I wasn't eating chocolate. And then the only cure was more chocolate. So that was my life in my teen years and in my college years. I remember when I was at, uh, when I was going to college, when I studied, I had my, I would be set up for studying for hours and hours. I'd have my eight ounce uh, special dark chocolate bar, my bag of ruffles and my Mountain Dew, my, my two quarts of Mountain Dew. And, and that got me through the night studying. And so uh <clears throat> what happened, well, the problem was that it was, I was really emotionally unstable at that time. So my, I would be very irritable. I'd be super, super depressed. I'd have times where I couldn't get out of bed and I'd miss classes and I'd miss exams. And, and then I'd be asking the professor, I, I was really depressed. Can I make up the exam? And I was just kind of one of those kind of students, you know, um, also, I was very irritable and I was very um, violent towards inanimate objects. So inanimate objects were had to really be afraid around me. So just some things that I would do uh, when I would bowl, I used to bowl a lot, you know, go bowling, you know, as I, I have, you know, I, I have an athlete's body if the sport is bowling. And uh, um, so um, and so I would, when I would miss a shot or lose or whatever, I would go berserk. There was one time where I kicked the ball return so hard that that big plastic thing came off of it. And so, but fortunately I put it back on and everything kind of, I got the satisfying click. So hopefully, you know, it's okay. But uh, there was one time I used to play pinball for money. I used to gamble <clears throat> playing pinball machines, those old ones with the flippers and the, and the chromium ball, you know, or the steel ball. And uh, there was one time where I, missed a shot and I lost and I got so mad that I I was smashed the glass on the top and I was bleed dripping blood and and uh and I, I just kind of ran away and I never had to pay the consequences for that which was nice and this is this is when I was like 13 that I did that and so I was just very when I was working on my car and something didn't work out there's one time where I, I was trying to back off a, a, a bolt or something and and it, it screwed up and I got so angry that I I threw the wrench as hard as I could across a field a, 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 a vacant lot and it took me 15 minutes to find the wrench I just threw it so hard you know so and I was a wall hitter, you know, and so uh, um, so lots of holes in my walls wherever I lived, and so I was just crazy. It was just crazy being me. And um, so when I was twenty three, my dad died, 
And so on the one year anniversary of my dad dying, I got super, super depressed. It was one of those situations where I was teaching at uh, Cal Poly at the time and I teaching math at Cal Poly and I couldn't, I mean, the, my class was at two o'clock and so I'd stay in bed until noon and then I would go to class, teach the class, go to the candy store at Cal Poly, buy two pounds of chocolate covered peanuts and then just eat chocolate covered peanuts all afternoon. And, and that was just my, my strategy. And then I had just chocolate, like I said, throughout the day. And so, but I got really depressed. So I thought, well, this is bad. And so my brother actually recommended that I see a therapist. I'd never seen a therapist before. So I started seeing his therapist when I was 24 and the first, uh, um, what do you call the, um, so the first thing he did, he had me take one of those psychological tests and that psychological test, it was really cute. The psychological test said that I was really depressed and I was going to kill myself. So he called me at home. He's like, Rance, are you okay? And I'm like, hi, Dr. Howry. Yeah, I'm fine. You know, and are you sure? And, and oh, I'm okay. Because the test says you're going to kill yourself. No, I'm not <laughs> going to kill myself, but I am going to have some more chocolate. And so, uh, so, um, so the first thing he did, so he asked me, you know, how's my sleeping habits? How's my eating? Habits. He asked me, well, what do you tell me what you eat? And I say, well, it's chocolate in the morning, chocolate at lunch, chocolate in the evening. That's pretty much all I eat. And he's, he's just like, oh, my God, you know, for someone who's so smart, you're not being very smart about your diet, you know. So cut out the chocolate, cut out the sugar and see what happens. And so uh, I stopped eating chocolate. And by the third day, and I just ate like broccoli and, you know, and stir fry and stuff. And so um so by by day three, it was as if I woke up from a nightmare. I mean, this this up and down, up and down was over and I wasn't depressed anymore. I woke up from a nightmare. It was it was that that simple, something that I had taken for granted in my life for years and years and years, ever since my of uh, my, you know, preteens. It turns out it was the chocolate that was making me crazy. And so I, I just, so I still went to him because I had to deal with my dad dying and stuff like that. But, uh, but I thought, okay, that's it. If I just stay off the chocolate, I'll, I'll be good, you know? And for the next two years, I tried to stay off the chocolate and I couldn't, I could not because chocolate made me feel so good. It was such a, a high, you know what I mean? It was a rush. It was a high, it was mood altering and I couldn't stay off of chocolate. So now fast forward to 1986, I'm at UCLA uh, getting so supposedly getting my PhD in math. And I was eating like chocolate, maybe two pounds a day of chocolate. And, and uh, the only meal, the only actual meal I ever had was uh, I'd have like fried chicken and French fries for lunch. And that was it. That was the only actual food I ever ate when I was living in Westwood. And so, uh, and I was very depressed and very irritable and, and crazy. And, and I wasn't doing my classes. I was, wasn't going to class. I was just shirking everything. And so there's a friend of mine that I knew from college. She was in Overeaters Anonymous. And she, uh, she had recommended, suggested before that I go to Overeaters Anonymous. But I said, no, you know, because I don't need help. I don't need anyone to help me or tell me I'm crazy or whatever. And so, but she asked me again, invited me to go with her to OA. And so I did. So I started going to the meetings in like LA in the LA area. And uh, she gave me a copy of the big book. And so I started at page one or page I in the big book. And, um, and a couple of things, I, I, it was the relief 
the joy that I felt upon reading the big book was really incredible. It was, you know, I mean, I remember it as vividly as if it was my first kiss, you know, where I was sitting in the lunch area at UCLA. I'm reading this because at the time I'm a born again Christian and I'm still a born again Christian. You know, that's my faith. And I thought, well, what kind of weird stuff is this book going to tell me? And everything the book said was completely consistent with my faith. Actually, it was completely consistent with a person with really good, a really healthy faith, you know, he's saying, hey, well, you know, the big book is saying, hey, when you pray, don't ask for what you want. That's not the way God made the world, but ask for what God wants you to do and how you can help the person who still suffers. And, and I'm like, well, that sounds very Christian to me. That sounds more Christian than most of the Christian books that I read. And so, so it was, it was just amazing. So the big book was life-changing for me. And, and so I read the whole thing read it cover to cover and my last day of eating chocolate was april 18th 1987 and that's it i haven't had any chocolate since and it's it's just been an incredible thing so so the old lance that would destroy stuff and punch walls and that's gone i mean i think once maybe i did some act of violence against inanimate objects in the last 30 years and and that's about it you know that that i mean that was all the time who i was so the the biggest thing so my first sponsor was this friend of mine from college this girl named jennifer and um and the big thing that she was into was Lance, every day you got to call me and tell me what you're feeling. Tell, share your feelings with me. Call me every day. Did something make you angry? Did something make you resentful? Did something make you afraid? You know, just every day call me with your feelings. So I'm okay, Jennifer. And so, so I was doing that and it was just a miracle. And that's what got me off of it because those first six months off of chocolate was really scary. I was having chocolate dreams, you know, and, and uh, I was afraid that I was going to relapse. And, and then, you know, when I get invited to a party that had a lot of chocolate, I, I had to, there's this friend of mine who was an alcoholic who said, okay, now when you go to this party, uh, do what I do, bring some Martinelli's apple cider, sparkling apple cider, you know, and, and a really nice glass and, and just drink the apple cider instead of eating the chocolate. So that was funny. That was like a total alcoholic solution to going to a party where there's alcohol. So, but it, it worked. It totally worked. And I wasn't interested in the chocolate. So that was a miracle. Now, fast forward to recently, recently, meaning like the last 14 years, and now, so I now have a different addiction. So if you think of chocolate as being like cocaine, then just eating, eating food is more like smoking cigarettes, you know, where the chocolate was for the high. I was doing that to get the rush and I couldn't live without the high. But the food now in my life is to regulate my mood. And, you know, when I'm a little anxious, I eat a little bit. When I'm scared, I eat a little bit. When I'm lonely, I eat a little bit. And, and I'm always using food to regulate my mood, just like cigarette smokers. They're, you know, if they're if they're tired, they smoke to perk up. And if they're anxious, they smoke to calm down. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like just this moment to moment mood regulation. And I'm having a, a hard time using applying the tools of recovery in Overeaters Anonymous. I'm having a hard time. Um, I quit my job about three and a half months ago. And uh, I've, I've really, and the reason I quit, I see now I quit, well, because it wasn't right for me. And I was really depressed. I was very depressed, very anxious. And I was, I knew that I was going to kind of go overboard if I stayed with that, that, you know, 
13, 14 hour day schedule. Uh, it was just going to be the end of me. And so, uh, so it was good that I quit, but now I quit my job, which is great, but I'm still kind of depressed. So I, I'm getting the, the people that I love and that I admire have given me some advice and suggestions, and I haven't taken it yet. And so let me just run down the suggestions that they've been giving me. Um, number one, writing, uh, writing my feelings, writing my fears, super, super important. Um, can I just say last night I had, I had another doctor nightmare uh, where uh, it was the weirdest thing. I was up in a, it was a very long dream too. And I woke up at about 1.30 and I couldn't get back to sleep afterwards. But I was in a cabin and there was a pregnant woman and the and she was giving birth and it's like oh my god is there a doctor here and like yeah I'm a doctor except as a family doctor like in my whole life I've only delivered two babies and I really suck at it because babies are small and I'm big and fat and, and they're slippery and and I just I hate it and it's frightening to deliver a baby for me but women the women doctors like oh I want to deliver more babies and I'm like go ahead you know so so there I am in my dream having to deliver the baby but fortunately there's a woman there who's a nurse practitioner her midwife so she says get out of the way boy I'll take over so she delivers the baby everything's great but all I can feel is just what a loser I am what a complete total loser it was just a horrible nightmare uh you know even though the baby was fine because we had this this experienced woman that's her job that's her specialty is to deliver babies she's not some big guy whose job mostly is to diagnose and treat you know uh uh illness, you know, which is kind of what I do as a family doctor. And so, so anyway, um, but I, and and so then there's this book that was written a long time ago by Sigmund Freud called The Interpretation of Dreams. And one thing that Freud would say is, now the dreams is your subconscious trying to reach out to you. So the first thing you should do when you have some dream or some nightmare, the first thing you should do, you should write down the first thing that you think of when you have that dream. It may have nothing to do with the dream. Write down the first thing you think of, that's your subconscious telling you what that dream's about, you know? And so when I thought, so after I woke up from the dream, I thought, well, what's the first thing I think of? And the first thing I thought of was going to see a female therapist, talking to a therapist who's a woman. And it's like the nurse practitioner midwife uh, was kind of symbolized a therapist in a sense that I really need to help me with my life. So, so anyway, so the, the advice that I'm getting, number one, write down my feelings. Number two, now would be a good time to see a therapist, you know, because I, I kind of need to talk to someone about what my next journey is in my life. Because I can't go back to the to the hamster wheel, to the family doctor hamster wheel. I just can't go back to that anymore. You know, what I should do, I should just watch old reruns. Like Mark, do you remember Marcus Welby, MD? Family doc back in the day where a family doctor saw like eight patients a day you know and now I'm supposed to see 26 you know but anyway so okay so see a therapist number two uh, I'm sorry number three um, the uh, advice I'm getting is to talk to my doctor about possible treatment for for depression. Um, number four, go to as many meetings as possible, like every day would be a good rate for meetings. Number five, don't isolate, because right now I'm just going, I'm staying at home and playing on the computer. That's all I do all day, except I don't, because my sponsor is telling me to get out and be with people, and so I've been doing that way more, and that's 
just incredible that that is a huge made a huge difference in my life because it also helps me when I'm with other people it helps me to see where my feelings are and what I want out of life and what what kind of joy I want so that's been really good so get out of the house stop playing on the computer I think I do need to I don't think I can five minutes okay thank you I don't think I can I think I'm abnormal. I think I have an allergy of the body and obsession of the mind when it comes to computer games. I think I need to just not play them. I'm not one of those people that can limit myself to a half hour a day or an hour a day. Once I get on there, I'm gone. And then it's seven o'clock and eight o'clock and nine o'clock. And then I've lost the chance to be with people, you know? So I think one of the, one of the suggestions that I've heard is to stop playing on the computer, just get out of the house. If I want to read, read at, you know, at the park, you know, don't read, read in my house because instead of reading, I'll play on the computer. And so, uh, so that's where I'm at right now. So my weight, uh, even though I've tried for the last three and a half months to be more focused on my weight and my health, I am exercising uh, all, about two out of every three days. And my, but my weight has stayed the same. When I quit my job, I weighed 312 and, and I weighed, I, I was at the doctor's the other day and I weighed 312. So, so there's, there's more that needs to happen as far as that. My abstinence is no chips, no candy, three meals a day, nothing in between. And uh, I'd say I've been about 70% uh good on my abstinence when i lose my abstinence is when i'm playing on the computer i tend to graze when i'm playing on the computer so it all it all kind of fits in together and uh so that's it i mean the next step for me is to follow the advice of my of the people who care about me and love me and the people that i really admire so so uh, okay that's it thanks for letting me share